Good evening, welcome back, and I want to begin with a statement made in the book of Job, chapter 10, and verse 1. A warning here, this is not a statement of joy, it isn't designed to uplift us in and of itself. It reports what Job said in his struggle, and his words were, I loathe my very life. Therefore, I will give free rein to my complaint and speak in the bitterness of my soul. Now God responds to that later in the book of Job. But at this point, early in the book of Job or in this section of the book of Job, documentation that's very candid in what Job felt in the moment. I loathe my very life, therefore I will give free rein to my complaint and speak out in the bitterness of my soul. There may be times when we have felt sort of like that. In the middle of some storm in life or some crisis that was not expected and you did not deny God's existence, but when you focused on your problems and your pain and your confusion, this kind of complaint may have been in your mind or perhaps spoken. Now, the danger of this kind of complaint is if we feed it, if we nurture it, if we repeat it and make it our life's motto, we have constructed a pathway that leads to ingrained and harmful self-pity. Yet we know the Lord doesn't want us to wallow in self-pity. He wants us to be grateful, joyful, and have a firm grip on the value of discipleship and the hope of the gospel. So let's do this. Let's see what the Bible says about self-pity. It's a subject that we don't talk about a lot, and that may actually be part of the problem. The more we neglect this subject, the greater the danger might be of self-pity slowly eroding our relationship with God and perhaps even spreading poison in our relationships with people. First of all, self-pity is not peculiar to our time. It is as old as sin. Go all the way back to Cain in Genesis 4, after what he did to his brother. He was at a low state of self-pity when God spoke to him in his guilt. Or you could go to the Israelites in Exodus 16.3 where that statement was made, if only we had died in Egypt. We had good food there. Job in that passage we read, I loathe my very life. Moses in Numbers chapter 11, why have you brought this trouble on your servant? He said, what have I done to displease you? that you have put the burden of all these people on me. And moving forward into the rest of the Old Testament, there is Elijah who had a very low moment. There was Jeremiah and Jonah. You may observe 
that there's a lot of self-pity and grumbling and complaining today in our time. But as Solomon said, there is nothing new under the sun. The mood of excessive self-sympathy and feeling sorry for yourself and turning all of that inward and holding to it isn't a recent human attitude. It has perhaps become almost an art form, a trending mood that you give free vent to. We have that word we use today, ranting in our culture. Eugene Peterson has said, feeling sorry for yourself has developed into an art form. The whining and sniveling that wiser generations ridicule with satire is given best seller status among us today. People are wounded and they want to broadcast their sad story. Social media platforms and broadcast news medias loaded with people who are complaining and grumbling and even among Christians, if we are not entirely centered and disciplined, focused on the good things of the Lord, we can take on the role of a victim and in our minds there can be an echo chamber where we rehearse how bad life is for us and how disturbed we are. Yet we know, as I said earlier, the Lord doesn't want us to wallow in self-pity. He wants us to be grateful, joyful, and have that firm grip on the value of discipleship and the hope of the gospel, even though we live in a troubled culture. So let's nail this down. Self-pity is self-focused. I'm going to take us to Romans chapter 12. And then after that to Philippians chapter 2. So when I turn inward and moan and groan over my sorry state, I am focused on me. Not for good self-examination and correction, but a self-indulgent mood that doesn't do me or anyone any good. And doesn't glorify God at all. Romans 12, 1-3 I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Verse 3. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Do we see in verse 3 that we must be restrained and sober and authentic in how we think of ourselves? Self-pity may occur 
when we dwell on all the negatives and we perceive that we are certainly in the pit of self-pity with Jeremiah and Jonah and Job and others, we let our thoughts go inward rather than, Paul says, the measure of faith that looks to God and what God in His grace has provided for us. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 to 5, So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. And then verse 5 shows us Paul's destination and aim of our attitude. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. This is very specific in Philippians 2. If we just look out for our own interest and we're blind to the interest of others, here again is that inward movement where we can easily slip into that mood of self-pity. An attitude that, by the way, has no spiritual value. Certainly is not uplifting when you're down. Better to give heed to what Jesus said and how he lived, and in particular, his attitude. And he says to us, seek first the kingdom of God. In the pit of self-pity, we're not seeking the kingdom. We're seeking self. In self-indulgent concentration on the perceived injustices we're going through that we believe we do not deserve, self-pity has turned inward. The very opposite of what Paul called sober judgment and what he referred to in Philippians 2 as humility. So, that's the introduction. Here's where I'm headed for the next few minutes. Three perspectives that can keep us from self-pity and help us if we arrive there. Three perspectives. Look around, look up, and look ahead. Look around. This is part of what Paul wrote in Philippians that we just read. When he said, look not only to your own interests, but also the interest of others. Now, here's something you've heard before. When you complain about your shoes not fitting right, look at and consider the person with no feet. When your glasses just don't have exactly the right adjustment, consider those who are blind. See, comparisons 
intended to feed pride are no good, but comparisons that lead to gratitude about our state can afford us good perspective. So Paul says, look around to develop that attitude of unselfish humility and service to others. You're going to have to not look inward, but you're going to need to look around. And then look up. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. The other passage I have up there was read by Landon this morning in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 1. Put your mind on the things above, not on the things of this earth. So look around and look up. So much of good living is about focus. And this says looking to Jesus. When I feel sorry for myself, I need to look to Jesus. When I'm convinced that others are not treating me right, I need to look to Jesus. When things happen that I cannot explain, look to Jesus. He is the author and perfecter of our faith. He ought to be the object of our clear focus through all the pathways and events that occur in life. I want to go back to Philippians, this time in chapter 3, as I make that third point. Look ahead. Philippians 3, 13 through 16. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Listen to verse 15. Let those of us who are mature think this way. Are we listening? Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything otherwise you think, God will reveal that also to you. Keep his word open and God will help you get your focus right and he'll help you look ahead. You know, it's, it is hard to walk forward steadily toward heaven if you get obsessed with the past. It is hard to walk forward if you're always looking back. Sometimes we may hear folks say something like, I'll never forget. And sometimes they'll gnash their teeth and you can hear the temperament. I'll never forget. And here comes when somebody says, I'll never forget, a lengthy tale of woe. And you can, you can hear the resentment, the unforgiving spirit, the temptation toward revenge. 
Or it may be personal regret, bad things you did or that I did. And we've never forgiven ourselves. In that case, the question becomes, did you repent and secure God's forgiveness? If God forgave you, you should forgive you. Trust God who promises to forgive the penitent. Then, get your eyes back forward on the prize. Paul says, the upward call of God. Press on, forgetting those things that are behind and thus dismissing negative mood self-pity that always hinders spiritual growth it always hinders spiritual growth so look around look up and look ahead and as you look ahead remember what Peter wrote in 1 Peter 1, beginning at verse 3 and down through verse 9. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now, for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls." Jesus didn't die on the cross for us to be miserable, angry, zoned out in a state of negativity and worry and self-pity. He died for us to be lifted out of sin and rejoice in our relationship with God and the hope of heaven. When you obeyed the gospel, you became a part of a kingdom that will never be destroyed. We ought to be the most motivated people on earth when you consider what we have to look forward to and rejoice in. We need to restore freshness and zeal to our faith and practice. One more thing. There was this book that was widely circulated back in the 60s, published by People of Faith, written by Leroy Brownlow. It was called Flowers That Never Fade. It was given as graduation presents and wedding gifts. And I read it back in the 60s and remember this passage and went back and made certain I had the quotation correct. Many people are miserable 
because they try to cross all their bridges before they get to them. To them, life seems unbearable because they view it in a lump. What did Jesus say? Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Read your Bible, run the race, rejoice in the Lord, remain steadfast, be ready for every good work, and there will always be moments of anxiety here on earth where you must not slip into self-pity and insecurity and fearful moods. A robust faith fueled by God's Word is the answer to any recurrent insecurities or fear. Someone said to me one time, in our earthly existence, the weather may be adverse and unpredictable, but it will never be spiritually fatal as long as you're living in a good relationship of obedience to God. I hope this helps you as much as it helps me. Let's be standing as we sing.